This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. The Denver Nuggets have an opportunity to do something they've never done in their NBA history tonight that would be claimed top seed in the Western Conference to do it with some time left on the schedule, no less. Joining us now to talk about it is Miley Sports Nuggets reporter Ryan Blackburn. You can follow him on Twitter at NBA Blackburn to make sure you follow the uh, pick, pick, uh, pardon me, pick axe and roll podcast. Pick axe and roll podcast. You can check that out at YouTube and, of course, MileHighSports.com as well. Ryan, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Appreciate it as always. Should be a really fun close to the year, guys. Uh, it should be. And, and obviously, with Nicole Jokic missing the last three games, uh, Jamal Murray is probable for this game with the. Uh, sprained right thumb. We know that's been a challenge there. The Nuggets can close out this playoff run with the top seed with a win tonight. Now, it's a win left in the season or a loss for Memphis. So this is, everything's done, but the uh, I's being dotted and the T's crossed. What do you expect will be the situation for Jokic and for a lesser extent, Murray, who has had under 32 minutes only once this month? In March, I should say, from March March first until now. How crazy is that stat, by the way? That's a, that's a great poll, Sean. I think that's that's a really interesting one where the guy who's coming off of the torn ACL surgery, who I, I predicted that he would average about I don't know twenty nine thirty minutes a game across the season, he's now way exceeded that and, and hasn't been under that in a long time. Uh, so this team does need rest. To your point, there's no doubt that that they've been pushing. They've been, been kind of off and on over the course of this last month. And, hey, we should probably keep the one seed. And, hey, we don't really need to try that hard. And, hey, uh, we, we, we see this magic number dwindling down. And now that it's down to one, if they push through in this final game tonight against the Houston Rockets, then I would expect everybody and their mother to sit out these next couple of games on the road trip and especially the back-to-back on game 82. Uh, it, it just doesn't make any sense. For, for the Nuggets to approach it any other way, unless the guys express an interest in keeping in rhythm, unless they express an interest in meeting certain criteria for bonuses, I have to imagine that everybody is very willing to sit out, and especially Jokic, if, if, he, if he's dealing with a legitimate injury, which it seems like he is. Uh, that's what Michael Malone said the other night, and I guess uh, when he was first asked about it, he, he left the impression that they were taking precautions, that they were going to rest him, that he wasn't really uh, hurt. And he hastened to come back later on and say, uh, yes, it's an actual injury. <laughs> and, uh, you know, at another point during the regular season, he might not be playing. Either. Uh, I, I have a feeling if we the playoffs, he would be playing, but that's the idea. You want to give him the best chance to be healthy for the playoffs. And I don't think there's any doubt especially since they beat Golden State without him, that they should continue to sit him and give him what amounts to more than a two-week break in advance of the playoffs. The guy I want to ask you about is Michael Porter Jr. Because uh, I made mention yesterday of the idea that I thought that uh, Sunday night, under the circumstances, Michael Porter played his best game in a Nugget uniform, and the reason I felt that way is because it was the first time, not that I'd seen him score 29 points or even grab 11 rebounds, but it was the first time I really saw him take charge of a game. And he was unquestionably all around the best player on the floor that included three Hall of Famers 
uh, the other night in Curry, Thompson, and Green. Uh, what's your take on Porter at this point? And I think by resting Jokic and maybe even limiting the minutes of Murray, you give Porter a chance to play several more games the way he played on Sunday night, and that can do nothing but enhance their chances in the playoffs. Well, there's no doubt about it. And to your point, I think this is real growth that we are seeing from Michael Porter Jr. this year. If you remember at the beginning of this season, the Nuggets did try to stagger him. They weren't staggering Murray. They instead staggered Porter a little bit. And those minutes were very hit or miss. Uh, He wasn't scoring the ball as efficiently. He wasn't really taking charge and, and getting to his spot in the way that I think he was comfortable and he was mostly benefiting from from the Jokic minutes as opposed to the non-Jokic stuff. Uh, but now, as as we're com- kind of coming down to the close of the season, he's grown and and he looks so much better physically and mentally than than I think we saw in Game One, where it, it looked a little bit tentative. He didn't know exactly what he was capable of. And now, after you see a full season of it, you understand that even though the minutes have been limited, I think in general by the Nuggets, and they aren't really crossing that 30-minute threshold with him that much. Uh, they're now seeing some real results out of him, and they're, they're seeing him as a third guy, as opposed to the role player that, that he's been for much of the season. So it is really cool. It's a really cool opportunity for him, and it wouldn't surprise me if he played at least two of the next four games. They'll still try to rest him. They'll still try oh, I to imagine for one games. game, at least, they'll rest him, but I, I think even tonight against Houston, let him go out there and play 30 minutes, 35 minutes, and dominate the game. Yes, there's no doubt, and, and he can. He's shown the capability to do that uh, from previous matchups with Houston, but also this season just showing some progression, showing some understanding of what he has to do to be the best version of himself. And it is really cool to see that. I think that Denver is going to continue to expand his minutes in the playoffs. I think that this is all kind of lining up for him to have a little bit of an ascension in the public eye, which is is really nice to see given what Denver invested in him and and how they've trusted him over the course of these past few years. The the rise of Michael Porter is interesting, of course, because to a certain extent it also affects Aaron Gordon. And Gordon in the last, uh, I would say, gotten better in the last few games, but it appeared to be a little bit tentative for a few weeks. And even in the last two games, in, in which he has put up good raw numbers, 26 points, eight, uh, eight boards, and six assists. Again, that loss in Phoenix and 13, 10, and seven in the win over Golden State. The truth of the matter is he's shot 16 for 41 in those games, two for seven from three, and a nightmarish five for 12 from the stripe. It, I'm, I'm concerned that what we'll see when the playoffs begin is what we've seen at times with Aaron Gordon, that if Aaron Gordon wants to sit out by the three-point line, teams will simply leave him alone and dare him to shoot. The thing about Gordon, and especially in these minutes during this last month of the season, is his game overall, he's not hes not the best shooter. He's actually not a very good shooter for the NBA level in general. Uh, but the most important thing with him is instead of floating, instead of being kind of a bystander for what's going on, For him to be at his most impactful, he has to be definitive and targeting certain things, whether it's the cutting, the offensive rebounding, the posting up, things like that. He has to make sure that he's uh, he's 
powerful with that, that he's physical with that. And when you're nursing a, a sore rib and everything that he was dealing with for the last, like that, that held him out at the, at the all-star break. I'm not surprised that, that he started to float a little bit, especially when Denver basically clinched the number one seed back on February 20th, six weeks ago. So I'm not surprised that this has happened, especially with the way that Murray is still stepping up, that Porter is still stepping up. You see Aaron Gordon kind of uh, seeding the reins a little bit. But don't be surprised if there are multiple games in the playoffs where he grabs 15 rebounds or blocks four shots or uh, has 25 points on 12 shots because he's dominating inside. There are going to be those games, and Denver's going to need those games if they want to win a title. You can't just rely on Jokic, Murray, and Porter. Gordon has to be that guy, too. Looking ahead to possible first-round matchups, odds are that the Nuggets will play one of four teams in the first round. The Clippers and Golden State, who are both 41 and 38 right now. The Lakers or New Orleans, who are both 40 and 38. I said on the program yesterday, although this may be a bit counterintuitive, if I were the Nuggets, I'd much rather face either the Clippers or Golden State as opposed to the Lakers or New Orleans. What do you feel about that? Interesting. I, I have a hard read for the Lakers right now because they have been dominating. There's no doubt about it, but they aren't playing the strongest competition. And LeBron James has not looked like LeBron James when, even when he's returned. Anthony Davis is fantastic. There's no doubt about that. Anthony Davis has looked like the bubble version of Anthony Davis. And that's true. And, and, and if that's the case, then there, there's going to be a couple of teams that really have hell to pay when trying to match up against them. And I don't think that Denver's one of those teams, if I'm being honest. I think that one of the benefits that the Lakers had back in the bubble was they had several bodies that they could throw at Jokic and then throw Anthony Davis at him on the weak side. Not necessarily from the perspective of, hey, we are going to uh, just single cover Anthony Davis on you and he's going to smother you because that's not actually what happened. I, I think that neither of those guys will be able to guard each other. But the difference is for Denver is that they've had so many other weapons in Murray, Porter, Gordon off ball, KCP off ball, Bruce Brown cutting. Like they've got a lot of different players that can contribute in ways that the Lakers roster just doesn't really have. It's better than where it was before the trade that they made. But I still think that I would, I would take Denver over them pretty significantly. If you're asking me to pick which team I would want Denver to play, it would be New Orleans because even if Zion Williamson comes back, Denver has a matchup in Jokic that New Orleans is going to struggle to cover no matter what. They are not going to be able to defend, and that's one of the things that they've really struggled with uh, against the Nuggets when those teams match up against each other and Denver is actually trying. So I think that I would prefer New Orleans and then probably the Lakers and then probably the Clippers and then the Warriors last. I, I really? do think that I still fear the Warriors. You know what? I, I, I Watching Golden State the other night against the Nuggets, and all due credit for the Nuggets for uh, bouncing back, but I thought the story of the game was how old Golden State looked, how out of shape Golden State looked, how bored Golden State looked, how self-satisfied Golden State looked. And it's been that way with them on the road all year. This is who they are. Kerr can't get through to them, try as he might. Uh, I, I saw a piece today out of the New York Times. They actually had a reporter out here in Denver to write about the Warriors Sunday night. Not 
to write about the Nuggets as the top team in the West, but to write about the Warriors, I think the Warriors are a very, very easy mark. They are who they are. Uh, yes, with the return of Wiggins, could things get better? Yes, but only if they stay out of the play-in tournament. If they're in the play-in tournament, that's the team I want to play. And the Clippers don't have Paul George. I think they're easy pickings, too. I really do. And the Nuggets went 7-0 and against the Clippers in Golden State. They were 4-4 and against the Lakers in New Orleans. I, I just don't think there's any question as to qualitatively uh, who the two better teams are, and certainly the two teams playing better at the moment. And I think it's altogether possible the Lakers in New Orleans could finish fifth and sixth, and it's uh, the Clippers in Golden State who end up seventh and eighth. And the Nuggets get one of them, and they kind of get what they want. I know they can't manipulate the standings, but I I, I just think Golden State, and, and at this point after 79 games, they are who they are. You keep waiting for them to wake up, they haven't woken. There's no doubt. And and I think the larger point in this is that if Denver's worried about any of those teams, then they're missing the mark. Because none of those teams should be what stands in the way of Denver actually winning, uh, getting to their first finals as an organization. That's what should be focused on. This team, they, they can't be focused on the first. I mean, they will focus on the first round. They'll have to get through whoever comes out of the and, and gets into that first round matchup against them. But if they lose that game, then they never really deserve to be there in the first place. They never really deserve to be the one seed and have any any viability as a contender at all in the first place. Denver with Jokic. Jokic is the best player in the conference. There's no doubt in my mind. And and if he can't push them through in any of those matchups or in, in any specific matchup that you're talking about, then it's a moot point. It is a, it is a completely uh, unfair conversation. And, and he, he will have some, some hell to pay for that, I think. The situation now with the Nuggets getting this all but done and that they will walk away with that top seed. I, I think you got maybe to the to the heart of the matter here, Ryan. We're talking with Ryan Blackburn of Mile High Sports. That the expectations for the Nuggets, I mean, I, I look at it and say they, they have to find a way to get to the Western Conference Finals to, to back up what they've done. I think it's conceivable that if they were to lose to say that, you know, a, a, a team there that, that's impressive, uh, maybe, but the problem, it can't be the Kings. You can't lose like you can't lose the Western Conference final to the Kings. These matchups matter. I mean, how much of this really is for the Nuggets? They're in the spot they've never been, be the top seed, and now the expectation is NBA Finals. They've never been there either. They've only been to the Western Conference Finals just a couple of times. So when you're talking about this sort of quantum leap going forward, do you feel there's enough when you're talking about the player side, the experience, and the coaching to handle all that pressure and get this done? Well, we're going to find out real quick. It's it, it's interesting. I, I asked Michael Malone after the game this last this last night. Uh, what do you what are you feeling about when when it comes to clinching the one seed? And then he immediately brushed that off and say, "Well, clinching the one seed is is very nice and all, but everybody knows that the pressure for us starts in the playoffs. That that's what's really going to decide whether the season was successful or not." And he's right. And I think that's the right perspective to have. The entire organization is that way. The entire organization has just tried to get through this regular season at the end, focusing on the playoffs, making sure that they're mentally and physically prepared for what should be the biggest moment in Nuggets franchise history. And if they deliver on that, then it's going to be incredible. It's going to be a great, I think, shining moment for this organization, something that they've never been able to have before. But every possibility is opened up to you the moment you have Jokic there. And with him playing the way that he is playing right now, in the thick of his prime, 
at the best uh, place that he's ever been. I do think that there's no doubt that the pressure should be as high as it can possibly be. And if you don't hold yourself to that standard, then you're probably didn't deserve to be there in the first place. And Denver can't just rest on their laurels and say, oh, well, we've never been there before, so why would anybody expect for us to actually go? No, this is the time where you, you make a change. Nikola Jokic is the best player you've ever had in your franchise's history. And the supporting cast, though it does not really get a lot of credits, I think nationally and sometimes locally, is really good. It is a good enough supporting cast to get it done and to win a championship. I have zero doubt in my mind about that. And it's, it's time for everybody else to get on board, but the Nuggets have to prove it too. You're exactly right in everything you say, and I'm not suggesting that they should be worried to the extent that, um, gee, we have to adopt some kind of underdog posture as early as the first round. But as always, the key to a first-round series uh, beyond winning it is doing it as expeditiously as possible. And I just think it would be easier against uh, one or two of these teams who might otherwise be considered tougher opponents. And a lot of this has to do with uh, uh, question marks about Wiggins' return, although the reports are that he comes back this week, or uh, Zion's return in, in particular, because to me, they've, they've already got a superstar in Ingram. Uh, Zion, when he's played, has shown signs of, of being a superstar. And, and the thing, not so much about the Lakers. They're, they're an older team, and... LeBron is obviously uh, looking uh, for another championship, and he is uh, uh, not what he was 10 years ago, so there aren't going to be that many more chances. But there's no pressure on a team like New Orleans, none. They can just uh, let loose. And I, I guess here down the stretch, the Nuggets don't have to win these games, but it strikes me that their bench has to solidify, and I'm wondering if somebody like, Deshaun and I talked about this earlier, and I'll leave you with this question, somebody like a Peyton Watson, who will get minutes in these final games, could possibly be part of the rotation, at least in the first round of the playoffs. It's a crazy thought to have, right? Like Over the course of these last few days, I, I think, my perspective on Peyton Watson and what he could provide for the Nuggets going forward, and, and not just going forward, but going now, it has completely evolved and completely flipped. Seeing him operate against two really elite-level playoff teams in the Western Conference in Phoenix and Golden State, seeing him find a way to be impactful in those games was really cool. And, and it showed, I think, a a perspective that I didn't have about the Nuggets bench that the lack of athleticism and the lack of physicality on that bench is very apparent in a lot of those bench configurations, whether it's Vlaco Chanchar and Jeff Green or Zeke Naji and Thomas Bryant and DeAndre Jordan. And uh, if they go small with a lot of their guards, I think Bruce Brown and Christian Brown bring some physicality and athleticism, but Peyton Watson, he definitely brings that. And he brings it at six, eight, with a with 215 pounds and a 7-1 wingspan where you could really see him impacting 
in in I don't know six minutes off the bench in a playoff game. There's oh, yeah. it doesn't yeah. have to be this crazy role either. It could be hey, we need that energy, we exactly. need that boost. Exactly. Let's see what the rookie has. He is Ryan Blackburn. Make sure you check him out on Twitter at NBA Blackburn and Mile High Sports, where all the work is MileHighSports.com, as well as the Pickaxe and Roll podcast. Uh, this is going to be. Uh, a very, very interesting spot for the Nuggets in these last few weeks. We'll find out what they do with rest. They're going to walk away with the top seed for the first time in history. You want to make sure that you're paying attention to what Ryan's putting together. Appreciate the time, my friend. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Always a pleasure. All right. Good to talk to Ryan about uh, the Nuggets. This is a big opportunity tonight. And the idea that, that he forwarded that, you know, rest for everybody makes perfect sense, kind of aligns with what we were talking about. This is a team that's going to have to, uh, get it done in the playoffs, and the, the best way to do it, I think you and, you and Ryan got to it in different ways. Rest the guys that need rest. Play some of these guys that need more minutes, and that not just the bench, but a guy like Michael Porter Jr. Let him step up, dominate, exactly, and then be ready to do that when inevitably exactly. Jokic or Murray has a down game. It happens. It will happen. So now all of a sudden you have multiple weapons. Exciting time for the Denver Nuggets. The Colorado Avalanche. Have a big game tonight. They are back in charge of the Central. If they can afford to keep it this time, we'll find out. We'll talk about it next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. The Colorado Avalanche will play tonight in San Jose. They will also play second game in San Jose this week on Thursday. So an odd quirk in the schedule that shows them basically in San Jose for back-to-back games, but not on back-to-back nights. Nevertheless, the Avalanche, 75 games played, the fewest of any team in the NHL, two games in hand. On the Dallas Stars, the Minnesota Wild, who both have 98 points. The Avs with a win tonight over San Jose that, by the way, has been eliminated, been eliminated for a while, 22-39-15. A win tonight would give the Avs, again, control of the Central Division. They are arguably in control of it right now because if they get the win, but if, but if they were to win tonight, there's no question. They will take over the top spot in the Central and then have the opportunity to run away and hide. So, Sandy, when you look at this particular game, the thought process is, well, of course, the Avs are the better team. Uh, San Jose is oddly abysmal at home. Not not bad. Awful. They have eight home wins. Eight. It is by far the lowest in the entire league. No one in the Eastern Conference has fewer than 15. And the second worst in the West is Anaheim with 12. So, San Jose, by far the league's worst home team. Two straight games in San Jose. But they've won three straight games, including over Winnipeg, a team that would be in the playoffs if it started today, and over the Vegas Golden Knights, the best team in the West. How do the Avs avoid slipping up against a Sharks team that oddly is hot? Uh, Tend to their business. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if they play Georgiev in both games. Given the day I off in between. Back with the day off in between, they might do it. Uh, 
Games in hand are great as long as you win them. <laughs> but there point. is no value if you don't win them. And in this case, splitting the games, even three points out of four, you, you failed to take full advantage of a glorious opportunity. You have two games in hand on Dallas, two games in hand on Minnesota. These are basically the two games in hand that you need to win. Come away with four points from these two games. And I think uh, compared with the chances from the other uh, two teams in the final days of the season, Colorado's almost at 50, 55%. Now, it, the rest of their schedule is a little more challenging. They do have one game left against Anaheim, but the rest of the schedule, the Kings, then the Anaheim game, both on the road, mm-hmm. Edmonton at home, Winnipeg at home, at Nashville to close out the season. Winnipeg, I'm guessing, will still be fighting for a playoff spot when they play the Avalanche. It would seem. A guess. It's not a guarantee, but a guess. So they'll get Winnipeg's best. And they're 1-1-1 one, one, and one this year against Winnipeg. Uh, they're 0-1-1 oh, one, one against the Kings. Uh, they lost earlier this year to Anaheim here. Uh Anaheim's in last place and basically in the tank. Edmonton will be, I think, as fascinating a game as there is between now and the end of the regular season. The Avs have beaten them twice in two meetings. The game will be here, but Edmonton will have probably about as much to play for as the Avalanche will because in the Pacific Division right now, Vegas has 101 points. The Kings have 100, and Edmonton has 99. So all three of those teams, much as the teams in the Central Division, think they all have opportunities to win the division and avoid that 2-3 first-round matchup. There's the same incentive for all three of the teams, including the Kings and the Edmonton Oilers, who are still on the avalanche schedule between Mm -hmm. now and the end of the year. So that puts a particular emphasis on winning these two games Because winning out, yes, winning out would assure the Avalanche of finishing first, but the chances of winning out are probably not going to finish the season on an eight-game winning streak. Let's just be realistic about that. So, yeah, I think you have to find a way to get that done. These two games are really important against a team that is bad at home, a team that's eliminated, doesn't have anything to play for. Yeah, it's an opportunity. And so the Avs tonight start that four game road trip and maybe you get Lekkonen back at some point on this perhaps road. because maybe. it is between now and Sunday those four games so you you have a day off between uh at least the early two but they do play back-to-back Saturday and Sunday against that Los Angeles uh and then on Anaheim back-to-back there but it does seem that in the Georgiev case you're trying to bank these wins I mean for free in many ways Sandy it's fair to say with eight games left the Avs playoff run kind of starts today right in many ways. The big push. Yes. Because if, if this team today. really wants to defend its Stanley Cup, I think winning the division is going to be imperative because of the guys they are missing for injury. You're going to need favorable first-round matchups to buy more time for perhaps Gabriel Landeskog to get back and get incorporated. We don't know where you are you know, with Manson. Uh, Lekkonen could be maybe back very soon. That would be great. But I think you need – I have a tough time believing – as much as I do like this as team, and, I, and I've said all along, 
they're 100% healthy. I have no doubt that they can win a cup from any playoff position. But it doesn't seem they'll be healthy when the playoff starts. And so all of a sudden. Not with all those guys. Yeah, it it feels like you have to win this division, I think, to give yourself that cushion to, to repeat. As champs, so right. the push and then, starts now. Then you now. play Winnipeg or Seattle in the first round, or maybe Calgary. But it, yeah, regardless, not a team it. you should dispatch. Yeah, especially with home ice. Yeah, so yeah. I, I think you have to get it. No, so no this, doubt, this no is doubt. the playoff run. I think so. I think Georgiev tonight, no, Georgiev Thursday, Georgiev get, Saturday. Get get specific about it. Um, you know, if we're if we're me, I wouldn't play Georgiev necessarily on Saturday. Play him on the Sunday instead. Uh, on Sunday Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday. Kings are uh, providing the opposition. Am I correct? On that? They are Saturday. Kings, Kings on Sunday, so I'd I'd, I'd rest him. Or sorry, uh, Kings are Saturday. sorry. Kings are Saturday. Anaheim, oh, which is a, which is okay. uh, long then, since. Then, then you'd want to play him Saturday, and then you could play Johansson on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. And then that's, you, that's then, right. then you bring uh, Gurya back on the next Tuesday for Edmonton at home. The people I'm looking at beyond the top line, which mm-hmm. you can count on being productive with the only player in the national hockey league to average more than one even strength point per game this year. Nathan McKinnon, mm-hmm. nobody else, including yes, Connor McDavid has averaged one plus points per game of even strength goals or assists. Not even McDavid who, who is just uh, one of the greats of all time in the power. I mean, he's just a one-man wrecking crew on the power. I think you have to see from Comfer, Rodriguez, and Newhook a line that will be, I imagine, kept together regardless of what happens with Lekin. Now, an outside chance you could put Lekin in uh, on that line with Comfer and Rodriguez, let's say, and move Newhook down to the third line and move uh, either Nieto or Morgan onto the fourth line. Uh, but but right now, with the, with the people they have, I think they have to get production between now and the end of the regular season from Comfort's line and from Eller's line, I, I they can't be minus players. On that line, that line has to hold its own. Mm-hmm. Obviously, mm-hmm. the fourth line, uh, you've got veterans: Helm, Cogliano, O'Connor. Uh, on defense, uh, Gerard and Byram aren't the ideal pairing because they're stylistically so similar, but both have been playing pretty well lately. Taves has come on, and I think Macar should be fresh for this final push for first place coming down the stretch here. So I, I think you can count on production from that top line. Uh, Ratton should get his 50th either tonight or Thursday night. Uh, Nishushkin's been, by and large, excellent playing with McKinnon and Ratton over, what, the last week to 10 days. Mm-hmm. I would expect that to continue. Uh, Conference had a nice year, very quietly, a 50-point season for JT Conference. 16 goals, 34 assists. If you had said at the beginning of the year, we're going to get 50 points out of comfort, you'd feel very good about that. Um, Especially given the injuries, it turns out to have been essential that he be that productive 
Newhook, to me, has been a bit of a disappointment. Rodriguez has been good enough for the most part. Got off to a slow start. He's a little spotty, but he's a nice utility player. Yeah, you can play him on a bunch of different lines. That helps. On different lines and as a center or on either wing. Uh, But uh, I'm looking at Newhook and Morgan in particular as guys who have to be productive Mm -hmm. here coming down the stretch. It can't be just the first line, and certainly in the playoffs, it can't be just the first line producing goals, assists, points. Yeah, and and I I think you're right when you look at Newhook. That's that's part of it, and that they're coming from totally different angles at it. You know, Morgan kind of an afterthought added, and then has looked pretty darn good. Remember, he's still only 26. Uh, years old and seems to be getting better as he's more comfortable. Smaller, faster guy, 5'9", 177. And then you talk about Newhook. 13 goals. Yeah. As, and as I, a, I, you'd like to see him going into the season. I thought he needed to be at 15 to 20. He still may get there. He could. But he has not been great of late. 16th overall pick in the first round of 2019. The expectation is that Newhook was not going to be a star. And maybe an all-star caliber player, and you certainly hope you maybe get that in the first round, but the expectation was the truth is, yeah, probably more than what you've got from him. And you're right. It's not a disaster. You're not saying it's just been a disastrous year, but you look at Newark and you look at the opportunities he's had because he's been healthy the whole year. He's played in all 75 games. The, the opportunity to have a better year has been there, and he hasn't been able to take advantage of it. Two players on the Avalanche who have played regularly, largely because they've been... Mm-hmm. I know where you're going. Are minus players? Yeah. Uh, Gerard's minus fourteen, I think, can be a little misleading because if they're healthy on defense and Gerard is part of the third tandem, with Taves and McCarr being the first, Byram and Manson being the second. Yeah. I don't think he'd be minus fourteen, but Newhook's been playing second line, third line. Maybe even more third line than second. He shouldn't be a minus player, and he is at this point in the season. He needs to be a plus player uh, here coming down the stretch. Um, strictly based on plus minus, O'Connor's been good this year. Yeah, plus, plus twelve. And uh, Rodriguez again plus one. Okay, but it's been kind of up and down. Yeah, it has. Uh, Easter famine for a lot of the, the season at times. Taves, I don't think, has had his best year, but he's plus, he's 34. plus 34. Nishushkin, plus 13. Uh, Lekkonen, plus 6. Comfer, plus 7. McCarr, plus 16. But you're talking about guys you're not surprised. Ranton, plus 10. You're not surprised. McKinnon, plus 23. But here you go. Josh Isn't Manson, plus 13. Yes. In only 27 the best, games. The best they of uh, the defensemen other than the top pair. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that they, they do miss him, and we'll see how that, that shakes out. But for the Avs, obviously, they need to get it done tonight. They need to get both of these in hand, and there will be an opportunity to do so. If they do, we'll come back tomorrow talking about the Central Division leading Colorado Avalanche. Hmm. We didn't think they'd have a fourth. We didn't think they'd have a fourth. Shot. They have a fourth shot. first place, but they do. Eventually, and it's against the weakest team they've had to play. Yeah. Uh, in this in a while compared to the uh, three previous engagements. have to find a way to get this done we will see if jared bednar and the guys are ready from from my, to my mind this is a straightforward strategy score the first goal of this game go get the first goal of the game put this team on it the, the sharks team on its heels they're playing out the string just put a little bit of pressure on them in that first period get a goal get a lead and then this the rest of it turn into a laugher it's just that simple come out hard 
look like you want it. This could be an easy game for the Avs. By the time you and I get back here, first place. We'll be back with more on Miley Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. We're going to take a peek at baseball. It is back, the push for postseason opera hockey noobs, so make it all count the spring with Superbook Sports. Superbook Sports is the best wagering app around with the direct line to experience bookmakers behind the counter in Las Vegas. And plus, now you get a $250 bonus when you sign up, deposit, and wager in the same day. So don't let spring pass you by without winning money from Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Sandy, had you done that, first couple games of the season for the Colorado Rockies would have gone pretty well as uh, Herman Marquez and Kyle Freeland look good in their debut. Kyle Freeland might have had the defensive play of the entire year in the second game of the season, pulling his Derek Jeter off the mound. Of course, then the problem was, after the Rockies did a nice job surprising the San Diego Padres in their brief set, then they had to face the Dodgers. And, uh, well, it was going well for a while last night. I was watching. Uh, yeah, 4-4, 4-2, four to four, uh, four to and then 4-4, four to four, and then 9-4, to four, and then they lost 13-4. to four. Yeah. I, I said it was going well for a, for while. a while. So, Rockies 2-3, and three, they split with San Diego, they lose the next two, and then they get clobbered by the Dodgers, who they will play tonight. But... Uh, the Rockies do have good news on their end of it, and that is the C.J. Crone, the first National League player of the week. 368 batting average, three home runs, seven RBIs, on-base percentage of 429. Pretty hard to complain about RBIs any of that. on opening day. Yeah. Yeah, a, a great start for him. I talked about it in the, the baseball roundtable in our My Life Sports magazine that is on shelves now. I said specifically, if C.J. Crone gets off to a hot start, the Rockies need to trade him as soon as possible, and I absolutely stand behind that. Now, that would be better for the Rockies franchise, the organization, but the Rockies themselves are loath to giving up any players in which fans have become familiar with. True. Um, they have also, though, developed a reputation. Hmm maybe at times somewhat an unfair one for taking productive players and shipping them off for prospects. Not that it's a bad concept to do that, but their ability to assess the value of the prospects historically very much in question. So, conceptually, even if fans could wrap their arms around trading their most productive offensive player for more than a year, they would be suspicious, inherently suspicious, of the quality of the prospects that the Rockies would get back from the Phillies or whomever else they might be prepared to work with on a deal involving C.J. Crone. There would be skepticism about those prospects, uh, the Nolan Arenado deal further deepened those concerns mm-hmm. among Rockies fans. Uh, Montero is playing now as a regular at third base. We'll see how he makes out 
getting his first crack at a regular major league job this year. Gomber, I thought, though they lost on Sunday, pitched well. It was a quality start. In other words, six or more innings, three or fewer earned runs given up. So he qualified. In fact, the Rockies got three quality starts in their first four games in San Diego. So at least Gomber and Montero have shown signs that they might be, in Gomber's case, a decent middle-of-the-rotation guy, and in Montero's uh, situation, uh, at least a functional a major league average third baseman, which this year has value at least because uh, Rogers is out for the year and McMahon has been forced to move from third to second, which isn't necessarily bad. I think McMahon, who had a rough defensive year last year, yeah, I think he's a better second baseman. Might be defensively more comfortable at second. I I agree with that. And and when when you talk about Corona, I'm going to literally offer a devil's advocate to myself. Uh, this, This is sort of where I'm at right now. In the seven years prior to joining the Rock, Wins over replacement, which tries to you know boil everything down, uh, offense, defense, the work. CJ Crone had a six point four in the seven years prior to joining the Rockies. In the two years he's been with the Rockies, five point five. There may be an argument, and because we know for certain players, right? Certain players are just kind of built for Coors Field. Perhaps, even though at the age of thirty-three, playing first base not as much wear and tear, in, and if, right? it can be it can be park affected. Yep, yeah. and the it may be that CJ Crone just happens to be a really good fit for the Rockies. Could be, and this is where and I, his value is perceived elsewhere as being as something lower. less because of the Coors Field. And that factor. would be the concern because you know if the Rockies don't properly evaluate the prospects they haven't received, right. you might get nothing out of you this. might get nothing, and you're losing a guy who for the Rockies has value. And has played 142 games in 2021, 150 games in 2022. Right. And has a, has a you know career batting average with the Rockies in the 270, with 29 and 28 homers, respectively. Yeah, so, I, mean, I don't know what his on-base percentage is, but he, he, he seems to draw a fair number Last year, 315. The year before, 375. Not, well, three, really? Last yeah. year? Uh, no, last year, 315. Lower. 315. 315. What was the 2021, 375. Well, that's a huge difference. Yeah, big one. So he only, I, he I guess only, I'm remembering the 375 yeah. more well, than the, I am the, the 315. The, the 2021, <laughs> he had 60 walks to 117 strikeouts last that's year. Fine. Kind of walks, fell apart. 43 walks to 164. Yeah, and that's, that's a big difference. Yeah. This year, though, we're only talking five games, though. Two and two. More selective, at least in the early going. And well, when, didn't they have you know, five uh, games on opening day? On Two, he had 43 all last year. And this is really hard to do. You know, this is one of the, don't try to do this at home. They had 17 hits on opening day and right. they struck out 17 times. Yeah. Now, they won the game, so it's all good. Uh, but since then, uh, their strikeout totals have not been especially notable one way or the other. Which is a good sign. And that's a good sign yeah. for a team that in recent years has struck out yep. a ton. So I'll, I'll tell you, everybody, you know, Sandy has his has plus minus. There's a lot of ways to break down things to, in standings. I, I have one for baseball for you. It's very easy. Take your team's strikeouts and take your team's walks that you surrendered and your pitchers. The team with the lower number wins the game almost all the time. Strikeouts that you, t- you, you have at bat and the walks that your pitchers 
Sure. Offer the other side. Just go ahead and look at those numbers. Very, very similar in, I, to the uh, yeah, I, road win home loss. Yeah, I don't have to look at it much of a box score except for those two basketball. stats. And I can probably tell you who won the game with about 95% right. certainty. Right. So cutting down strikeouts and walks for the Colorado Rockies are arguably and, the two most important things they can do. And I know there's no stigma uh, attached to striking out, but now with the, with the uh, rules It changes, might come back a little bit. It might be more of Gotta put the ball in play. a factor in the evaluation because it, it, there's with a shift, okay, you're you're first of all trying to hit the ball hard. Second of all, you're trying to hit home runs. And if you're trying to hit home runs all the time, a certain amount of strikeouts comes along with that. CJ Crone is a good example of that. Uh, growing up in a in the era of the pitcher, even at that point, you didn't want to strike out a ton. And if you strike out a hundred times, was an that, that was an embarrassment for the player involved. Now you strike out, or at least in recent years, you strike out a hundred times and people say, well, tell me how many home runs you had. Right. And if you had 40, 45, I'll take a hundred strikeouts for 40, 45 home runs. Yeah. And we'll see how much that changes, of course, with the the, the shift. But a lot of different situations uh, with baseball changing. The rules have been uniformly but really bad. the point better. is, Crone's off to a good start. Yes, a great start. A very good thing for uh, the Rockies. And he hasn't played a single game yet at Coors Field. So, right. National League Player of the Week without Five playing games a on single the road. game at home. Yeah, for, uh, that's terrific. The Rockies tonight. Two of the most notorious pitchers, pitchers parks parks. in all of baseball. Absolutely. Tonight, the Rockies will be at the Dodgers again, 8-10 start. Interesting to follow simply because you want to see how Herman Marquez follows up a yes. very good opening day start. He'll be facing off against Julio Arias for the Dodgers. But and we a will, of stopper course, uh, early on in yeah. the season. They have a little losing streak going here. Can, can Marquez step up and do it? Right. It'll be interesting to see. I want to thank Ryan Blackburn for joining us. Of course, the Nuggets have an opportunity tonight to do something that they've ever done. Top seed in the West in their hands with a win tonight. The Colorado Avalanche could take over the Central with a win tonight over the Sharks. We'll be watching both of those and be back right here to talk about it tomorrow. But it's time to hand things off to our friends at Afternoon Drive with Anilo Piro and Cody Roke. For Danny Bailey and Andrew Detmer in the booth, Sandy Clough on my left. My name is Sean Drotar. Thanks for listening. Keep it tuned right here to My Life Sports. When will I know that I really can go to the well?